Um, that song reminded me of Diane Yu, right here on the front row. Um, she's had a son who's been incarcerated for quite some time. She's made not tried to hide that from her church family. She has asked us to pray. She's come up so many times, and we have prayed with her and for her. And I got the most amazing phone call this week. She was giddy. Um, Michael Hill, her son, is getting out early September 29th. And so we are very thankful. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And she gives all the praise and honor to God, but she is a mom that has prayed and has asked her church family to pray about a difficult thing. She didn't try to hide it. That's what we do sometimes, don't we? Oh, we got something in our family, so we just pretend that it's not there. But thank you for being honest, and we're very excited and can't wait for Michael to be here. And he said something about me baptizing him. And y'all know he played for Ohio State. He was a lineman, so I'm a little scared of trying to baptize that big boy. But we're excited about that. But something else I want to ask y'all in, in that song, and we know that God answers prayers, obviously. But um, uh, we've got some folks, y'all, in the last six weeks, I, I've, we've had more people connected to our church that have the virus than I can remember all of last year. And it's kind of scary, quite honestly. Um, and I can't name everybody that I know right now connected to us or in our church family that has it. But I want to ask y'all right now to specifically pray for um, uh, Ken Hull, who's one of our members. And he's been in uh, Noonan uh, on a ventilator since last Sunday, and he's not doing well. And so we want to lift him up right now, specifically his wife, Yolanda, has been in and out of the hospital twice. She's got COVID. Their son, Randy, has had it, and he's very concerned about his dad, so we want to lift uh, Ken up. I know there's another guy, I'm not going to say a lot about this guy, his name is Jeff, and he's in a serious situation as well. And I know y'all know others, I'm not trying to leave anybody out that's important to you. I'm just saying I would like us to take some time to pray specifically for Ken and Jeff right now because it's really, really serious. And the other thing I would like you to pray about is the situation in Afghanistan. I don't understand it, y'all. I really don't. I know it probably wasn't handled the best, but we've got uh, Christian brothers and sisters over there who are in grave danger. We've got service people over there. We've got people in, in, in a, a pretty evil regime that has come in. And it's really scary, isn't it? And I don't know what the answer is. Um, but our preacher who was here um, 38 years, Jim Dyer, used to say, praying's not the only thing you can do. It's the best thing you can do. So uh, we want to take some time to pray for Ken and Jeff and in this situation in Afghanistan or whoever is on your heart right now. Let's just take some time to pray for those folks right now. <clears throat> Lord, amid this silence, you hear all of us, and I, I can't even comprehend how you do, but you do. You're all-knowing. And Father, we need to be still and know that you're God, especially when these things that we've brought up. God, we praise your name for um, good news about Michael. Father, we implore you right now in the name of Jesus to, to heal Ken and Jeff and others. Uh, we see this thing spiking again, and uh, we just pray for them specifically and their families, Randy and Yolanda and their whole family, uh, Ken and 
part of this church family, and he's in, he's in a serious situation, which you know, Lord, but we just pray for your healing hand on him and others. And Father, we pray for the medical community, doctors and nurses who are just overwhelmed right now, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually, with all these sick people that are coming in with family that's frantic and scared. And so we just lift them up to you, Father. And we come to you because we're dependent. As, as medically advanced and as technologically advanced as we get in this world, we still do not have all the answers by far. And we need you. And maybe that's why you're doing some of this stuff in the world, Lord, to make us recognize our need for you. So we acknowledge our need for you. Um, Father, we pray for this situation in Afghanistan. And I, politically and militarily, I do not understand. It, it baffles me. But Father, I, I know that... Um, uh, there's Christian brothers and sisters over there that are followers of Jesus that we pray for their protection, those who are trying to get out or those who want to live there in, in, a, in a, some semblance of freedom. And we are scared of this um, evil regime that's coming in, and we know it, it, it doesn't look good. So we pray for you, for leaders to step up, political leaders, um, military leaders, however it, it needs to be, Father. And again, we're at a loss for what to do, so we come to you this morning. So thank you for hearing us, Lord, and uh, we lift these things up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for your prayers, and I will continue to do that. Well, if you, you haven't been here, that's okay. Um, we've been doing a series called Big Picture Perspective and going through Paul's letter to the Jesus followers in a place called Philippi. And uh, Paul loved these people. He helped start the church there. Um, uh, he uh, was these these people at this church supported him and his other missionary journeys, and he uh, was very close to them. But as we've been going through this series, we know Paul was actually under a house arrest of sorts in Rome, awaiting to go to trial to Caesar. And uh, he was scared for maybe his life. Uh, people that loved Paul were scared that he might not be around after his trial. Uh, to Caesar, and so he's writing letters. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's writing letters to the churches that he loves, and it's helped start to encourage them. Um, and so we're going to look at that in just a minute. But I wanted to mention something about the Olympics real quick. And I, I watched some of the Olympics. I, I said in the first service that I have an addiction to baseball that I watch every night. So I flipped it on a little bit, but I always go back to baseball because I love baseball. But during those games, um, one of the things that's, that will always stand out to me about this year specifically was... Some of our athletes from the United States, um, and, and athletes have an amazing platform, as you know. Um, they use that platform to voice their displeasure about certain things in our country. And uh, that kind of bugged me a little bit, and maybe some of y'all. Um, but it's also interesting, some of our athletes did not, uh, or chose to use that platform in a, in a very different way. Um, they stayed away from the grumbling and complaining, and they... Uh, stayed um, focused or, or at least uh, stuck to their mission or event that they were in. And, and many of those who won medals for the United States spoke graciously of their country as they shined for their country and won medals. And when they were interviewed afterwards, they were said, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to represent the United States. And uh, there were three ladies in particular. And I know there were men and other people, but these three ladies really stuck out to me in their graciousness of their country and specifically, Sidney McLaughlin, of her faith in God. I was very impressed with that. Also, a lady named, and I'm not sure I'm getting her name right, but Tamara Mensa Stock, who won in wrestling. She was very gracious. And, of course, Allison Felix, too, in track and field. So these ladies and athletes used their platform in a very positive way that I said was just, you know, I was glad um, that, that young ladies and young men got to see them 
say what they said as they shined in, in winning at the Olympics. And those, and I won't mention those who spoke, uh, you know, in a degrading way about our country. I think it's obvious who those folks are. But several of them, I thought it was interesting, were predicted to win medals. And they didn't at all. I thought that was interesting. And maybe they should have focused a little more on what they were there at the Olympics to do rather than some of these other things and degrading their country, who they were uh, running for, whatever, lifting for, whatever it was. Uh, but in the process, they missed out on a chance to really shine for their country. They missed that because they were grumbling and complaining, like, where are you going with all this? Well, Paul, in his letter today, is going to specifically talk about grumbling and complaining. And we've probably all had, and I'm guilty as anybody because I'm a grumbler and a complainer. If I get in traffic, I complain. If the, if the line at the fast food place is long, I complain. I complain about a lot of stuff, you know. I was complaining about how the Braves this, earlier this year are terrible and all this stuff. And now I'm like, yeah, they're great, you know. I have plenty of that, so I understand. But when we do that to the extreme, we miss out on a lot of good stuff in life, don't we? When the focus becomes griping and complaining. So... Last week we looked at where Paul shared in his letter to the fellow uh, followers, Jesus followers in Philippi, to, to work out. He said this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it made us stop and go, what does he mean by that? But we recognize we are justified through Christ. Paul taught that in all of his letters, through grace. That's why we're saved. We don't work it out. We, there's no way we could work it out. But we do work out for the rest of our lives to show in our lives how thankful we are for that justification in Christ and what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. We spend our whole lives doing that. And Paul was encouraging and equipping and challenging those folks to trust in God's long-term work in them and others. God has a bigger picture. Even when I don't understand with this COVID, what's going on in Afghanistan and all this other stuff, God has a bigger picture. And if I really believe he's the Lord of my life, then I'm going to trust him, right? I'm going to trust him that he has this even when I don't understand it. He's not asleep at the wheel. And there's times I kind of think, hey, well, God, come on, what's going on? But he's not asleep at the, well, at the wheel. And God's work uh, in those people in that place in Philippi, and even now God is working in them and in us, and he gave them the opportunity to act towards, as he talked about last week, his good purpose to be a part of his kingdom work until Jesus returns. We don't stop working for God's kingdom ever. We continually do that. So in this week's text, Paul's going to start more directly to address some disunity that was going on in this church. A lot of good things going on in this church, but because Paul loved them and cared about them, there was some disunity that he had heard about, and he's going to address this. So he says, and we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 14. I know it's kind of a long passage here, but I'm going to go ahead and read that. Thank you all. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless, and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me." I hope in the Lord I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself 
Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you uh, heard he was ill. And indeed, he was ill. He almost died. And God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. I know that got kind of long, but... But Paul is, again, this is such a personal letter that he's writing to the folks that he loves and what's going on. And he's letting them know, I'm aware of all these things. So this first part may seem like practical common sense. And uh, maybe many of you parents have, over the years, quoted this to your kids. Like, this is the God's Word. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Okay? If you haven't used that one, this is now you've got some Scripture to tell your kids. Right? This is actually God's Word. Stop grumbling and complaining. Um, and I think... Uh, Paul saying that the absence of grumbling and complaining is a better w- way of dealing with difficult situations. You don't ignore difficult situations. You, you have to deal with them, but you don't necessarily have to do it with grumbling and complaining. And I think Paul is using some old school Israel language here to remind them of in the past, some of their, the history when we look at God's people, their grumbling and complaining kept them from inheriting some really great things in life. And I say old school because Paul cannot help but think about his rich Jewish background, the Old Covenant history from the sacred scriptures that he has studied his whole life, even memorized those scriptures as someone who was really uh, you know, uh, trained as a Pharisee. And he says, even, you know, um, uh, these scriptures are important, and I'm pointing them out to you. And I have to remember this, and I think we all have to remember, there was no New Testament as Paul is teaching. All they have is the old scriptures. So Paul's referring back to these Jewish scriptures to Gentile people, and sometimes that was a disconnect. But Paul's trying to connect those old scriptures that were part of the old covenant that God gave the Jewish people. Now there's a new covenant in Christ, and those are still important because now you're God's people. They were God's people, and now there's a new covenant, and now we're all God's people. And, and he's trying to encourage them with that. So you probably remember that, uh, <clears throat> I remember when I think about grumbling and complaining, I hear those two words together. I think about the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years and how much they grumbled and complained to God and to Moses. In Numbers 14, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament with that. Paul is connecting the Israelites under the Old Covenant again to this New Covenant. And he was saying, learn from those Old Covenant folks. They wandered around in the desert and they didn't get to inherit. Many of them didn't inherit what God had for them because they grumbled and complained and wouldn't trust God's plan. Don't be like that, Paul's saying. Don't let your grumbling and complaining get in the way of your inheritance, what God wants for you right now. And this is strategic again by Paul to connect Jews and Gentiles together. We're in this new covenant together, and he wants them to understand that. Jesus, um, in chapter 6 of John's gospel, has just said a famous phrase, I am the bread of life. 
And some of the people that heard that didn't like that. And listen to what John records about people's response to Jesus saying he was the bread of life. At this, the Jews there begin to grumble about him because they said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus heard him and said this. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. And that's very similar to the language that Paul used last week when he said, God wills in us, he works in us to will and act according. But God has to, to, to draw people to himself. Very similar language to what Paul was talking about. Grumbling and complaining is a sign that our souls are hungry, and we can't seem to satisfy that hunger with the superficial things of this world. But we keep going back to those things. Why is that? And we look at the Old Testament, and the Israelites had the one and only God that was their God, and they kept going to idols, and it would just hurt God so much. He goes, why are you doing this? Those aren't real. Those are man-made things. They aren't real. They're not alive. You have a living God that loves you, and you keep going back to those things that will never feel your, 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 uh, your, satisfy your soul that's so hungry. And so when we or any group expresses discontent with God's will or God's plan, it is a demonstration of our unbelief and our distrust in God. That's what it is. And that prevents us from doing what is best and ultimately pleasing God when we distrust and express constantly our, dis, our grumbling about what God is doing or not doing. And Paul explains that doing what God has called us to do by trusting without grumbling and complaining transforms us into who God has always wanted and created us to be. He says, blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, Paul's not saying that we or they, because we're blameless and pure children, that we're perfect or sinless. That's why Jesus had to die, because we are sinful. But now we are new creatures. But when we wholeheartedly are committed to doing and being what God and who he calls us to be, then we are those blameless and pure children in the midst of a warped and crooked generation, Paul says. And even if most of the culture around us complains and grumbles and ignores and rebels against God's plan and purpose, when we don't follow their pattern, guess what? We stand out. The rest of the world knows that. Why, does, why do they not ever complain? We're all complaining. We're on Facebook and we're making our posts and we're angry. But Joe's not. What is it? You know, Mary's not. What is it about her that she has this uh, worldview that it's not all, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, basically? And even if most of the, the culture is going in that direction, we can stand out when we don't. And Paul says we shine like stars in the universe. And again, Paul is redirecting that Jewish Gentile. He's trying to connect them because you remember uh, God said to Abraham, I will make you more numerous than the sand on the sea. I will make you more numerous than the stars in the sky. And he's including Gentiles in that. You're like stars that shine for God because you're God's. You need to understand your identity is in God. And when I think about Paul's description here about stars shining, I think about science class. And somewhere along the way, somebody told me how stars react. Inside of those stars, there's some sort of a nuclear reaction. And because of that nuclear reaction inside of the star, it produces heat. And that heat produces subsequently that shine, which makes them shine. You ever had your kid ask you, hey, why do stars shine? You're like, I don't know, son. You have to find that out in some you know, science class. 
But when I heard about that in science class, it's a nuclear reaction that God created that nuclear reaction in those stars. And when you look up at the stars, I don't know about you, but I think about, man, this is a big place. And there's a creator and he's winking at us and remind us that he's there. He knows what's going on. And so think about that for a minute. Why does Paul use that illustration? Jesus does a transforming work inside of our hungry and longing hearts and souls that produces, uh, or at least he wants to produce, a reaction inside of us which produces something else. And that something else is a new perspective, a big picture perspective that is different from the rest of the world that grumbles and complains about all this stuff. One that produces joy and optimism instead of this grumbling and complaining. So God wants to create not maybe a nuclear reaction, but some kind of reaction inside of us that transforms our hearts and our minds. And obviously it shines inside of us. Something happens and it makes us shine on the outside and it makes us reflect light in a very dark world that Paul's talking about. And it is a better way of reflecting Jesus and what we believe about him. It's a way of bringing light into this dark, warped and crooked generation, as Paul calls it. And I think we would kind of agree, yeah, we we have a a warped and crooked generation that we're dealing with. But isn't that what people desire anyway, is to shine? I mean, think about social media, you know, and and I get it. And I know y'all get tired of me harping on this, but I'm not going to stop because it drives me nuts. This taking a picture of everything I do bothers me. Now, there's a good part of it. Oh, look, they're on vacation. Isn't that cool? All right, well, I'm glad for you. Look, we're at this restaurant. Oh, that's good. I wanted to try that. That's great. All of that's good, and you're sharing some of your things, and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. But man, when it's over and over and over again, and never a picture is good enough, man, something's wrong. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it's so narcissistic in, in a way. But people in our culture want to shine. And people in our culture want to shine for selfish reasons to bring attention to themselves. But Paul is talking about a different kind of attention that we shine with. Something counterculture. We've been talking about this phrase that uh, Michael DeFazio said, cruciformity. We should be in the process of cruciformity. Becoming like the crucified one, Jesus. And we don't try to become or live our lives in a way so that people will watch us and we'll get attention. But we need to live our lives like Jesus because people are already watching us. And they want to see somebody that has their true identity in God. That's what they need to see and want to see. But what do we want them to see? Do I take all those pictures because I want people to say, look how cool Craig is. Or they, I type out the stuff. I want you to know the right opinion and I have it on my Facebook post. You need to go there. And I want you to understand my political view or my intelligence. Is that really what we want people to see is us? It's not what Jesus says, not what Paul's saying. Do we really care enough to think what they really need to see is Jesus? And here's an old saying, y'all. But they don't need to see me. They don't need to see my opinion or whatever. But they need to see Jesus. And here's the old saying. Sometimes we're the only Jesus that someone's ever going to see. Think about that. You're the only Jesus that someone's going to encounter maybe today. Does that seem intimidating? (laughs) Well, I hope so. Does that seem unfair? Maybe. Unrealistic? Too much pressure? But guess what? That's exactly how God designed it. Us and him him and us. He left. After he died on the cross, he rose again, and we know that's true. But then after 40 days, where did he go, y'all? He left and went back to heaven. Back with the Father. And he says, I'm turning this whole operation over to these 12 guys. You mean those 12 idiots that that walked away and ran? Yes, those 12 idiots. And guess what? We're sitting here today because of those 12 idiots, right? 
And, I, and please forgive me, that's not respectful idiots. But when we think, oh, what's wrong with it? Man, if you've been watching The Chosen, they're so personal now to me. And they are such real people. I'm very thankful for that. But anyway, Jesus turned that all over to them. And he left physically. And they've been doing an amazing job with it. And it's worked for over 2,000 years. Even when people don't do their part. Even when people grumble and complain. Guys, you can grumble and complain. But you're not going to be part of the inheritance. But it's going to keep moving. And it has kept moving. And even today, if you're sitting there going, I ain't doing that. You know what? God's still going to move. If you don't jump, he wants you to be a part. But if you don't become a part, he's still going to do his thing. That's the way it works, and it has worked. And when we see the bigger picture God has, not only for you and your life, but for everybody, it changes us. It gives us a different perspective. His kingdom is a much bigger perspective, and our perspective changes from being all about me and me shining to outwardly being focused on other people. And when you meet somebody that truly is outwardly focused on other people, they have a joy, don't they? And they try to invite you in and go, hey, man, would you help me with these people? They got this problem, and let's help them. And you start getting excited because you see the joy that they have from helping people. And then when you jump in, you go, man, this is great. We're helping people. This is what God created us for. And we have the opportunity in every situation to reflect Jesus. And if we really believe that, then we should be excited that today, tomorrow, every day that I wake up might be an opportunity for God to use me to show Jesus to somebody. And we need to be ready for that. And it shouldn't be for selfish purposes. And so Paul says, we shine as we hold out and hold on to the word of life. And Paul was expressing what any teacher or any coach or any mentor or any manager wants to see. And that's real life progress when you're mentoring and teaching someone. Practical results in the one who's teaching or you're investing in. And Paul's alluding to seeing those he had invested in on the day of Christ. When Christ returns, he says, I want to be able to boast that you hung on. You had the big picture perspective that you hung on. You worked out your salvation till the day you die. And I can boast because I invested in you. And you stayed faithful to following Jesus. And, and you are now going to be forever with Jesus in eternity. And this would be the reassurance that he says that I didn't labor in vain. That I didn't run this race for nothing. It all matters. And he says, I want to see that. But then in verse 17, he says, but even... Paul refers to his situation. He goes back. Y'all know my situation, getting ready to go before Caesar, all that. He says he goes to an old, another old covenant reference. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Now, we don't a drink offering. What is that? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, that was part of some of their sacrifices. So the Jewish people are connecting with that. But also in the culture they lived in, there were some pagan practices of pouring libations on a sacrifice. And so Paul's connecting all of them and saying, I am a drink offering. Part of the worship experience of sacrifices. They understood that. But Paul's trying to connect the, the Philippians with their actions in his situation. He's saying, your faithfulness in following Jesus in your actions are a sacrifice to God. I see that. The rest of the world sees that. And if I have to die for sharing the gospel message with you, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. Like a drink offering poured out on the sacrifice. That's an amazing attitude, isn't it? Well, in verses 19 through 30, and those were kind of long, where Paul's talked about, I'm going to send you all Timothy, but not right now. I've got to wait and see what happens with my situation. But I want to send you Timothy because he's an important young man who's been with me through these journeys. And he's somebody that we can trust. He's shown genuine concern for your interests. And he says, everyone looks out for uh, their own interest in that culture. It's like, wow, their culture was like that too, huh? 
And Paul says, yes, but not Timothy. He's different. He stands out. He shines. And you need to know him. He's proven that. And I hope to send him as soon as I find out what happens to me. But he says, here is who I am going to send back to you. And that's Epaphroditus. And Paul is naming real people that were real people in that culture into this church. And they know who he's talking about. And you know, do y'all realize that Paul sent Epaphroditus 700 miles to Rome to help Paul out? This church says, we're going to send somebody. And they said, Epaphroditus says, I'll go. And they said, we're going to send you and and you help take care of Paul during this tough time. And y'all read what I read. He got really, really sick and he almost died. And everybody was scared that Epaphroditus, we sent him and now he's going to die. And Paul says, God spared him. And he knew how much I had on me and he allowed him to live. I'm going to send him back to y'all so that y'all can rejoice. So Paul's putting some practical side to this. Doing things even in the midst of difficult times. We don't just sit there and grumble about the difficult times. We do something. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are people who were doing that. They were getting involved. So Paul makes sure they understand how important people and their examples are in sharing the gospel message. So I want us to ourselves think about people in your life who are important to you. Are they important because they're gripers and complainers? Go, oh, yeah, that's, I love being around them because they complain and gripe all the time. Really encourages me and gives me joy and hope. No, you find yourself going, oh, here they come. Taxi, you know, get me out of here. Comes the griper. Or is it someone like Timothy or Epaphroditus who joyfully invested in you and spoke hope into you and to your life, and you want to be around them because they make you feel better? And many of us are Jesus followers today because of those kind of people, right? I know I am. People in the church encouraged me. Even when things got rough in my own family and at my school or whatever, I had people in my church that encouraged me through those things. So I want to close this morning with an illustration of how some people took an opportunity to make a a bad opportunity something really, really really good. So earlier this year, um, when the COVID vaccines first came out, up in, uh, I think it was Oregon, there was some folks, um, and there was a, a tractor-trailer jackknifed in a snowstorm on a major uh, uh, interstate, and it shut the whole thing down for four hours. Have you ever been in something like that? You say, oh, we ain't going nowhere. And you can imagine with the snow. And so these people um, were in, in this, uh, uh, you know, this traffic jam. They were health care workers, and they had been at a high school giving out the, um, uh, the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. And so they had like six... Um, vials left, and they were going to expire in two days, and they go, man, with this traffic jam, there's no way this stuff is going to last till the two days where our next stop's going to be. So the guy that was the, the one of the workers says, you know what, let's just go from car to car while we're sitting in this traffic jam, and let's ask if anybody wants the COVID vaccine, and that's exactly what they did. And they said they were a little nervous because this was an area where people were anti-vaccine. They weren't going to take it, but they just started knocking on windows and going, hey, we've got this vaccine. It's going to expire. Would you like to take it? And within 45 minutes, six people took the vaccine. And said one guy was so excited, he ripped his shirt off and jumped out of the car and (laughs) gave his arm and said, give it to me. Now, I see that and I think, man, there's something where somebody had the opportunity to share something. And they weren't just thinking of them. They weren't just going, isn't this a terrible situation? There's nothing we can do. No, there was something they could do and they did it. And think about this for a minute, y'all. We have the answer to what really ails us. And it's not COVID-19, is it? It's sin. And Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection is the answer. And we have that answer. And when we're in bad situations, do we grumble and complain? Or do we say, how is Jesus in this? And how can I share this with other people? And maybe someone here today, I hope you've heard a message of hope today. 
in Jesus. And that hope brings a sense of joy into your life going forward. And it doesn't mean when you become a Christian, you pretend that bad things aren't happening. Bad things are happening, aren't they, y'all? And they're real, and they hurt us, and they affect us. But we have something. We have to have a bigger picture perspective that God's got this. And he's doing something, and we can be a part of doing something, even in the midst of these difficult things. And this morning, we want to uh, offer an invitation that maybe there's somebody here today, even amidst your past failures and your present tough times, you're not going to let those keep going forward. Now, I'm excited because we have a baptism that we're going to do right after our time of communion. Uh, very excited. Um, and it's, it's an important one um, uh, for a family. And uh, it's, it's, I'm excited for Gavin because he's going to be baptizing his first person. Isn't that great? Reagan Hammaker is going to be baptized a little bit later. And very excited for y'all as a family. And um, uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, as a parent, there's nothing better in the world than knowing that your kids are accepting Jesus. Nothing better. That's what you pray for all those years. Isn't that right? And so we're very excited to see that in just a little bit. But there may be somebody else here today. And if you need to make a decision to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized, we can do that today. And I'll try to help you walk you through that. Or maybe somebody's looking for a church home where we believe in the big picture. We believe in that big picture. Um, and, and, and we know that we need God. We need Him in our lives. And if you're looking for a church home, we're certainly not perfect. But we are going to stay on task and trust in God's plan. And if you want to be a part of that, we invite you to do that too. So our praise team is going to come on up. And they're going to lead us in a song. And we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. We take communion every Sunday here. Um, that may be something new for you, but if you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to participate, we welcome you to participate with us in just a little bit. Hopefully you got that little pack that's out on the table when you came in. If you didn't, you can sneak out in just a minute and get you one of those. But if you're a Christian, we invite you. You do not have to be a member of this church to participate in celebrating the Lord's Supper and His death and resurrection today. So we're going to do that in just a minute. They're going to lead us in a song as we prepare our hearts. If somebody else has a decision you want to make today, I'll be right here on these steps. If you need to pray, I'll be right here and pray with you. Or if you just want to come up here and pray yourself. Uh, but we're going to um, prepare our hearts for communion right now.